I took the lead. Where's a good station? Somebody's heart. Glory. Glory. Amen. Guardians of Grace. What's wrong? Welcome to the Guardians of Grace podcast. Relax. You have found the right place. We're here to serve. Join us. Holding to pure grace. Again, relax. Join in with us. Listen on. Be blessed. of grace. Hello once again and welcome to another edition of the Guardians of Grace podcast. I guess you can already tell by the voice that Bill is not here because he's not opening up the podcast. Once again, Bill has had to keep his hand on the plow and not able to make it in to the studio to be here for the podcast. He, he, he works like an unbelievable amount of hours a week. We're, we're not talking like seven, 12 hour days. We're talking more than that, just from the time he wakes up till the time he goes to sleep. And I, God's honestly think that's the the consequences of going against the adversary with this podcast. I believe it's the adversary that makes Bill so busy that he can't be in here because this is the love of his life and he'd rather cut off his right arm than miss a podcast. It's the only thing he lives for and to have that much zeal for the podcast and still not make it, it's only because of an adversary that is playing a very tough game with Steve and Bill in the Guardians of Grace podcast. It really is a, a battle. I know that battle belongs to the Lord, and we will see him accomplish it, though. We will get this podcast out to the masses of people and we will someday do a Martin Luther size grace awakening, understanding our dependency on the spirit of God and allowing it to change the entire church for the better because that's all we've ever wanted is to gain people for the better, not to give them an easy, greasy life to live as a Christian, but to actually abound as a Christian because they're abounding in the life of Christ who is the ultimate, the ultimate Christian. But I wish Bill could be here. I've always wanted him to be in here and not having to work so much. It is what I myself personally am shooting for is that Bill can somehow get a salary or enough income coming in to where he, he doesn't need to do his day-to-day tent-making operation in that he can actually be in here with me in the studio 24-7 because I know it would transform Form this podcast, there, there would be no similarities in the podcast as it is now and if Bill was in here full-time, but I just can't seem to get him in full-time. I actually need your support. I need to make a salary for Bill so he can come in here. I don't care so much about myself, but I want Bill to be in here with me and he can't come uh, unless somehow we bring in money so that he can put down his plow. And so I pray and pray and pray and hope and hope and hope. And two years and two months have gone by and we still haven't gotten any closer to that goal. But I have hope. I have faith. I believe it's still going to happen. 
I believe I'm going to win by God's grace over the adversary and Bill's going to get in here and we can podcast 24-7, which would literally mean we would probably, for one, put out five podcasts a week as, as opposed to one a week. But we would do so much more, too. We've got so many ideas and things that we want to do and we watch ourselves not do them day after day after day after day and we want to get these computer glitches fixed and they just don't seem to want to fix we're trying to move forward but we're not doing it very fast that's for sure we've definitely got an adversary presenting a huge amount of resistance to us and we actually we need your help we need your support we need it very bad so i i I hope that you'll pray and maybe make a commitment to support us so that we can get off the ground and i know we would change the world we would change the face of christianity as we know it if we had some support so Bill and I could do it 24-7, we, w- we would change Christianity as we know it. It would be a spirit-driven Christianity, not a human-driven Christianity. It wouldn't be, the Christian community wouldn't feel the burden of the Christian life on their shoulders So they wouldn't feel the shame of always falling short and they would get to experience the exhilaration of being used by God as a vessel. And they would be addicted to that and they would learn to depend on experiencing God throughout the day. And our brothers and sisters could see each other experiencing God throughout the day and go fellowship with each other when they are experiencing God throughout the day. And the fellowship would bring so much joy, just like it says in in 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 6 or 7. He says, I write this letter so that you can have fellowship with us and indeed Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son. I write this to make your joy complete. I write this letter to teach you how to make your joy complete. Because if we are fellowshipping with God and His Son through each other, it makes our joy complete. And the letter of 1 John is teaching you how to realize whether someone is in the spirit or experiencing the spirit or he is in his human nature or experiencing the shortcomings of the human nature. But that is what this new covenant is about and that is what Jesus meant when he was talking to Nicodemus in setting up in John chapter 3, all the parameters of this new covenant. I don't know how many people realize that Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in the middle of the night and giving him the whole counsel concerning the parameters of the new covenant. I don't know that many people understand what they're seeing and what they're reading it always gets chopped up into one part where jesus says nicodemus you must be born again and that becomes the focal point of sermon after sermon after sermon or god so loved the world that he gave his only son the john three sixteen passage that creates many, many sermons, or that God did not come to the world to judge it, but through him save the world, another topic for many, many sermons, but 
I don't see many, many sermons being preached on John chapter 3 as a whole and how Jesus speaking to Nicodemus masterfully lays out our new covenant, the covenant that we as Christians live under. Like Paul said in Corinthians, I myself am under the law of Christ. I myself am under the new covenant law with its judicial system. Did you know that the new covenant has a judicial system and it has a system that we live by and it has a system that the judicial do's and don'ts are governed by? It has all that contained in it, this new covenant. I don't see this new covenant being portrayed clearly and succinctly like it should be. And I want to attempt to do that just merely by taking John chapter 3 as a whole and putting all these thoughts together so that you can see how Jesus was trying to teach Nicodemus more, more, much more than Nicodemus, you must be born again, much more than God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, much more than just God did not come into this world to judge the world, but to save it. There's so much more to this chapter, and I think if we do the chapter from beginning to end, we can see just how awesome this chapter in the Bible is and how it sets up the foundation and the parameters of the new covenant. So with that in mind, I just, I I pray, Lord, Father God, that you will enlighten the eyes of our understanding and give us the mind of Christ right now to be able to see what Jesus was telling Nicodemus and the importance of what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. You guys, I just want to kind of go through this in a verse-by-verse fashion and just pointing to the verses. I'm not going to be telling you anything. I'm just going to point to the verses and show how they all fit together to make up this one chapter and the picture that they create when you read the chapter as a whole. I'm just pointing to Bible verses, which is the mode of operation that Guardians of Grace always goes by. We just point to Bible verses and read them and look at the Greek lexicons and make sure we have them as accurately as possible and take them in that accurate form and share them with you. Just show you what the verses say. You you never argue with Bill or Steve. It's Bible verses that we're pointing to that you're always either learning from or rejecting. You're either learning from the Bible verses or rejecting what? The Bible verses. Why would you ever want to reject Bible verses? I'll tell you why. It's because it runs smack into our traditional thoughts, the ones that we've been taught since we were children, the traditional way in which the Bible was looked at that we were brought up on and that we know of no other way of interpreting them but by the traditional lens that we unwittingly, unwillingly use when we're reading the Bible. So 
I want us just to look at what the Bible is saying, not what the traditions are saying as we read the Bible. So I forewarn you, there may be some Bible bursting in this podcast, and I'll do it as gently and as compassionately as I can because I know how traditions can be so painful to turn from because a lot of the traditions gave us comfort in in what we thought we knew and we turn from them and now we don't know where to go or we turn from them and we remember the people that gave us those traditional views and we realize how much we love those people and how much we are actually turning from the things those people taught us and the love is mixed right in there so it's painful to burst that bubble but with that in mind we're going to look at what Jesus was telling Nicodemus as Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night in secret so that nobody from his side of the camp would realize that he was learning from Jesus. So we'll start chapter 3 of John and we'll go right into where Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom. You remember Jesus saying, hey, you guys, I've come down from heaven to preach the kingdom of God to you, and the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near you. The kingdom of God, matter of fact, the kingdom of God can be within, Jesus said. Within your bodies, the kingdom of God can be. And Jesus was telling us about this new kingdom that he literally came from the third heaven down to earth to teach us about. And this is part of what he was teaching us about. He said, unless you're born from above, whatever that means, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see the activity of the kingdom of God. He's going to go on to say, the wind blows where it wishes and you do not know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is the activity of God combining John chapter 3 and Ecclesiastes chapter 11 where Ecclesiastes says just as you do not know how the bones are formed in the mother's womb or which way the wind blows so you do not know the activity of God. So sow your seed in the morning, be diligent in at night, because you never know whether your morning or evening efforts are going to be blessed. Blessed with what? The activity of God in those things that you are doing. All the way from back in Ecclesiastes, we were talking about relying on this Spirit of God that you don't know which way it's going or where it's coming from, but you can tell that it was blowing. You can tell that it was active. Well, Jesus is saying, this is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God, the activity of the spirit that you see happening in front of your eyes by faith, you have to realize and believe that that is the activity of the kingdom of God. And you will not see that activity unless you have been born from above. Do you remember in James chapter 1 where it says, don't be deceived, you guys. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights in whom are no 
shifting shadows in an exercise of his will he chose for you to be born from above through his word through the words that are spoken you become born from above which is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus just after Nicodemus says can you go back into your mother's womb a second time poor Nicodemus was so confused about this because this is the first time in the history of the planet that this concept had ever been mentioned or taught so naturally he was confused about it but Jesus says Nicodemus you must be born of water and the spirit to be able to enter the kingdom of God that which is born of flesh gives birth to flesh that which is born of spirit gives birth to spirit Jesus was telling Nicodemus you must be born when in childhood the water breaks and the birth of a human baby is given humans give birth to humans but spirit gives birth to spirit the second time you're born Nicodemus spirit gave birth to a spirit in you that's what entered the womb so to speak metaphorically speaking Nicodemus spirit gave birth to spirit Nicodemus and you can enter the kingdom of God by virtue of your spirit your spirit can enter the kingdom of God is what Jesus is telling him and he says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you don't know where it comes from or where it was going so is everyone who is born of the spirit you can see the spirit's activity in every person that spirit gave birth to spirit Nicodemus He's telling Nicodemus clearly that you can't see the kingdom of God per se, but you can see the activity of the kingdom of God. You can't see the spirit per se, but you can see the activity of the spirit coming through a person, controlling that person and causing them to act like a true child of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is telling Nicodemus in terms that he can't understand, but we in the 20th century can understand them for what Jesus is actually telling Nicodemus because we've got the advantage point of looking at this passage in hindsight. So he's telling Nicodemus this is how the new covenant starts, Nicodemus. The new covenant that Ezekiel and Jeremiah prophesied about, where they said, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk the upright Christian life. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And nobody... Nobody from the greatest to the least of all people will have to tell his brother, learn how to experience God. Learn how to know God. Learn how to experience God. For From the greatest to the least of them, they will all see God. They won't see him per se. They will see him by his activity just as the wind blows and you do not know where it comes from, so it is with the activity of God, Ecclesiastes tells us. You will see the activity of God in the people of the new covenant are supposed to have a handle on this concept and thereby be able to see 
when the spirit is in control of a person and when fellowship can truly make your joy complete. It's, it's all about learning this concept that Jesus was telling Nicodemus. You have to have the spirit from above put in you so you can see its activity and know that it is the spirit or the activity of the kingdom of God and that you're right in the middle of the kingdom of God and its activity once you understand the concept of being born from above. That's what he has told Nicodemus so far, that the whole new covenant depends on the idea of Jesus in the form of the Holy Spirit being placed into you to do for you what you can't do for yourself. That is the foundation of this new covenant. And it's exactly what Jesus is telling Nicodemus and he can't understand. So Jesus goes on to say, in verse 10, you're a teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I, one person, say to you, we, plural, speak that which we bear witness of, that which we have seen, and you do not receive our witnesses. I, singular, told you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? See, he's saying we because he's wanting Nicodemus to get the concept that the Spirit of God is in Jesus and Jesus is listening to the activity of God coming through Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, that they're not just Jesus's words, but they're the words of the Father who is in Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. If he had the concept of what it means to be born from above, that the Spirit of Christ is placed into you and you can hear him talking to you through people, he would understand what Jesus is telling him and it becomes blatantly clear that that is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Once you understand the concept of the new covenant and once you're, you have the lens of the new covenant and what Jesus came to build, that would be what he's talking about, what he came to build, this new kingdom, whereby which we live by the power of the Spirit of God. Do you remember the kingdom of God is not a matter of rot, of eating, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's a sensation in the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, hey, you guys, the kingdom of God is within you. And you can see its activity, Nicodemus. You can see it. And yet you do not believe me when I tell you about earthly things. How can I tell you about heavenly things? Because no one is ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, even the son of man. Okay, Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes may in the Son of Man have eternal life. He's saying, Nicodemus, I have to be put up on a cross I will draw all men to myself, which is what he said in John 12, 32. 
I will draw all men to myself. They will be baptized into me. You remember Jesus saying to his disciples, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And can you be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with? You will be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with, he told the disciples. And they were because Romans 6 says all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death when he be lifted up on the cross, like he was telling Nicodemus, we were baptized into him, and therefore we were in him when he drank the cup of God's wrath. Remember, he said, can you drink this cup? He said, you will drink this cup. And in Jeremiah 25, you can see the whole chapter written about how the nations were gathered to drink this cup. Well, they were gathered to Christ when he was put up on the cross to drink the cup of God's wrath to pay the penalty for all sin. In God's eyes, we were all baptized into Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for seeing it that way. And we died and paid the price for our sins. And we were buried with Christ and we were left in the grave and a new creation was brought out of the grave when Christ was raised from the dead. And it is a new clean vessel that God can live in because he wasn't going to live in a dirty, sin-stained vessel. He cleaned the vessel. That's why he said to Nicodemus, I have to be put up on the cross because I've got to clean the vessels so that I can come down 50 days later on the day of Pentecost in spiritual form and start this process that I'm telling you about, Nicodemus, about you must be born from above to see and enter the kingdom of God. You must be born by my spirit, giving birth to a spirit in you. You remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.14, I think it is. I think it's somewhere like that. He says, you have many tutors, but you do not have many fathers, for through the gospel I fathered you. Tell me Paul didn't know that when he presented the gospel to someone, spirit gave birth to spirit, and they were born from above, just like Jesus says. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Spirit gave birth to spirit in them, and they were born from above, and the spirit of Jesus was now in those people. That's exactly what Jesus was telling Nicodemus. I've got to be put up on the cross to prepare every vessel, to cleanse every vessel, so that the born-again process can start so that spirit can start giving birth to spirit in a clean vessel. He's telling Nicodemus all of this right in John chapter 3. It's so amazing what all Jesus is telling Nicodemus. But he goes on to tell Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He says to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus would pick up on this, but we in the 21st century are not picking up on this very well, but he said to Nicodemus, so that he who continually, moment by moment, believes in Jesus has this eternal life, which Jesus later on, I mean, we're in chapter 3 of the book of John, in chapter 17 of that same book, the book of John, 
Jesus defines what eternal life is. So he's defining what he told Nicodemus. They shouldn't perish, but have eternal life. Well, here's the definition Jesus himself gave to Nicodemus about what eternal life was. He says, eternal life is to experience God. To experience God. It's the word epigenosis, which they use to say Abraham experienced Sarah and they bore a child, or Adam experienced Eve and they bore a child. Adam knew Eve and they bore a child. This is eternal life that you know God in the idea of experience God. He defines how he is using eternal life in John chapter 3. He says that everybody who is continually, moment by moment, believing in the Son of Man is moment by moment experiencing God. And that does not come out so well in the 21st century English. And I'm saddened that it doesn't come out more clearly. We've got to change that, actually, because it helps us understand what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's saying that you can experience God, and when you are experiencing God, which is the parameters of the new covenant, how the new covenant system works, I'll put my spirit, my spirit in them and cause them to live an exemplary Christian life. My spirit in them, they will be experiencing and they will be believing in me and walking a model Christian life is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and we don't pick up on it. We think that whoever believed that him at one time in 1952 was saved at that moment and gets to go to heaven. How do we get that out of these scriptures? These scriptures are not saying that at all. We're ignoring that Jesus described what experiencing God means. It means eternal life. We're denying the fact that Jesus described what eternal life is. It means experiencing God. They are experiencing God when they're believing me and they're not perishing. They are not manifesting the mind of Adam, who is perishing, because that's what it God told Adam way back in Genesis. He said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because in that day, and this is the actual from the original language, in that day, in dying, you will die. In dying, you will die. You'll be dying until the time that you die. Constantly decaying and getting older and older until the day you die. Once you eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be going downhill. You, In dying, you will die. I'm sorry, but that's just the way the original language read it. God wrote it the way he wanted it to. I can't make the scriptures behave the way I want them to. I have to behave according to the scriptures. And it says, in dying, you will die. So if you're not experiencing God, the eternal life, you are experiencing Adam, the one who is dying until the day he dies. You are perishing. He says, if you're continually believing in me, that moment by moment, that moment you are not dying, you are not perishing, but you are experiencing 
eternal life, which Jesus defined as experiencing God, which means the same as experiencing the kingdom or the kingdom's activity. That's why he said, unless you're born from above, you won't see the kingdom or see its activity. You will just see people doing things, but you won't see the fact that it's God in them, causing them to do the good that God needs them to do according to his plan, which he put into effect before the world began. It's God doing his thing. And unless you know the concept of what born again means, you don't see it. You don't get it. You're oblivious to what all God is doing. And I believe that, man, most of my life I was oblivious to it. I see it now and I trip out on it all day long. It's more beautiful than looking at the mountains and everything to see God's activity flow through a person that I'm fellowshipping with. Oh, I'm so blessed. I see it. And sometimes I get great words of wisdom from the mind of Christ as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, you have the mind of Christ. Then he says, I, I couldn't address you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as babes, because there was jealousy and quarreling among you, he could tell whether he was looking at the activity of the kingdom of God or looking at the activity of God within him, the person, or it was the activity of the edemic nature in the person, and he was seeing the activity of that nature. But either way, as new covenant believers, we are supposed to, as far as knowledge goes, we are supposed to have learned this, and this should be a way of life. Remember, Paul said, this is my way of life that I teach everywhere in every church, a way of life in Christ Jesus, in his power. Jesus said, abide in me and I abide in you and you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me. Paul said, this is a way of life in Christ Jesus that I teach everywhere in every church. This is what Jesus was telling Nicodemus that you can see the activity of God or the activity of the kingdom and you can enter into that activity or that fellowship because I've prepared all these vessels to be clean vessels that God can live through. That's why I had to be lifted up on the cross to make this new covenant happen and come about. Well, after he says that, what does he say? He says, the son of man did not come into the world to judge the world judge the world he's not going to judge the world what is he going to do to the world then it says save it he said i did not come into the world to judge the world but to save it save it from what what did the lamb of god save us from didn't it say the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world in john 129 it did. He took away the sins of the world. He saved us by taking away the sins of the world. He drank that cup, and in God's eyes, he saw all of us placed into Jesus on the cross when Jesus drank that cup and paid the sin debt. Therefore, we all got credit for paying the sin debt, and in God's eyes, we are clean vessels for God to live and carry out his eternal purpose through because he is still carrying out that eternal purpose. He just does it through you and I, these vessels that he cleaned up that Jesus was telling Nicodemus about. But he says, he who believes, continually believing 
into him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. No, no, no. It, it, it couldn't say that. My tradition wouldn't allow me to say that. It, it, it's saying he who does not believe will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire in the future. No, no, it says has been judged past tense. Wait, wait a minute. That's, that's, that's not tr fitting my traditional view. You're throwing a monkey wrench into my traditional view. What do you mean he has been judged already? Why could, why would you say that? I want it to say he will be judged in the future. No, we've, Solo scriptoris, only the scriptures are what count. They're what we learn from and we behave according to them. We do not make the scriptures behave according to us. It said he has been judged already. What judgment could that possibly be? Oh, 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 you mean the next verse is going to tell us? It's going to say this is the judgment and define the judgment that we've been judged already for? Well, let's see what that judgment is that he's going to define. It says, the judgment is that light came into the world and men love darkness more than they did light because man's deeds were evil meaning man's deeds did not compare to what God can do. The good I can do does not compare to the good God can do through me. My righteousness seems evil compared to God's righteousness coming through me. Do you remember what God said in Isaiah 64? Your righteousness is literally a rag, a filthy rag. I won't tell you what the real word is, but your righteousness is as a filthy rag. It compares with evil compared to my righteousness through you. The men love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were as filthy rags. Then it goes on to say, everyone who does evil does this self-righteousness that is, is as a filthy rag. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deed should be exposed. Okay, what is it that, you, you know, that's part of the judgment. That's what the judgment says. It, it says, this is the judgment. You don't come to the light because you think your crummy, self-righteous deeds will be exposed. I, I'm making this judgment about you. See, it's not a judgment of I will burn you to death. I will burn you for a thousand years. It just says, I'm going to tell you something about yourself. Your, your deeds are not all that. You're not all that. You don't measure up. And he, this is the judgment he makes. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Everyone who does evil, isn't that exactly what Paul said about himself in Romans 7 when he said, I know that no good thing dwells in me, only the evil I hate. For the wishing to do good is in me, but the doing of good is not. I do the evil I do not wish. That makes me the evil man. Do you remember the evil man out of his treasures brings forth what is evil? 
and the good man brings forth treasures out of his heart, which are good. I used to think John is a little bit better than Joe, so his deeds are good and Joe's deeds are evil, but I realize none of our deeds compare to God's deeds, and that's why God could say to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Or that's why it could say in Romans 3.10, there is none who does good. No, not one. Goes on to talk about how evil they all do and how evil their tongue is. But it says none do good. So I had to realize that the good man who brings forth treasures out of his heart is Jesus and Adam is not the good man and they both live in me. So the man of Adam does not come to the light lest it expose his deeds and shows that they don't measure up. I'm just reading you the scriptures. But he who practices the truth and I'm starting in verse 21 of chapter 3. He who practices the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be manifested as having come from God. The one who practices the truth. What is the truth? I didn't do it. It was you doing it through me. Did you get that? Let me just pause for a moment of silence. I didn't do the good. It was you doing the good through me. You doing the good through me. That is practicing the truth. That's what Paul and all the other disciples said. James said, speak and act as one who will be judged by the perfect law that gives freedom, the law of Christ. In the law of Christ, we give God the credit for what he has done through us. It's literally, there's literally an aspect of this new covenant that is a judicial system and what you give God credit for makes it through the 1 Corinthians 3 fire. And what you didn't give God credit for burns as wood, hay, and stubble. Do you remember Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 3, as a wise master builder, I tell you to build carefully. We can lay no other foundation other than Christ if you build on it with wood, hay, and stubble, or you build on it with costly stones. It'll be brought to light, for the fire will bring it to light. And if what you have doesn't burn, then you've stored up treasures for yourself in heaven. If it does burn, then you will suffer loss, but you yourself will be saved. It's not a matter of going to heaven. It's a matter of the rewards. That is what John chapter 3 is talking about, the rewards that you will see in the judgment that is so obvious is that you didn't do all the good works that held this planet together. God did those good works through you. It's just a judgment of who is right and who is wrong, and you'll be judged as being wrong if, if you didn't believe in him, if you didn't believe it was him working through you to get the job done that God needed done, to get God's eternal purpose done. Do you remember in, in Ephesians where it says, this is according to God's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus from the beginning of time till the end of time. Jesus does everything God needs Jesus to do. The book of the life of the Lamb is the book of the life of Jesus and what he did from the beginning of time 
till the end of time. What he did through each and every one of us is his biography. The biography of the life of the Lamb, the book of the life of the Lamb. is The book is about the life, what Jesus did, his life. It's a biography. The book of the life of the Lamb. The book about the Lamb's life, Jesus' life, what he did. And you are written in that book, if it says, on page 72, and through Steve, Jesus did this, and through Steve, Jesus did that. Through Steve, Jesus did this or that, not Steve. And if your name is written in that book, then what you produced makes it through the fire and you receive reward for that. Do you remember Jesus saying, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? This momentary life, this mist, this vapor that's only here for a little while is intended for us to store up treasures for all eternity. And we do that by Jesus doing things that God needs done through each and every one of us and we give him credit and that is what Jesus is explaining in no uncertain terms to Nicodemus from the beginning of Nicodemus when he said truly truly I say to you that you must be born from above to see the kingdom of God till the last thing he said that all the deeds were done by God. The one who practiced the truth comes to the light so that it's evident that all the deeds done that were good were done by God. That's the end of the new covenant. The beginning of the new covenant was you have to be born from above. He's got to put his spirit in you, Nicodemus. The end of the new covenant is, Nicodemus, that you have to give God the credit for what he is doing through you because I made a new covenant where he will do the things that God needed done because we failed the first covenant where he depended on us to get the deeds that he needed done. We failed that covenant, so he found fault with it in Hebrews, and he made a new covenant. And this new covenant depends on Jesus, and the people who practice the truth of the new covenant, they come to the light. So it can be clearly seen that what was done through them was done by God, and those who thought they were doing it run from the light so it will not show that they didn't do the deeds, but it was God doing the deeds through them. That's why it says they hate the light. It's going to embarrass them unbelievably. But that's all the judgment that Jesus described was. A judgment of embarrassment for being wrong about one idea. Who does the good works through you. Remember God said, I'll share my glory with no one. All glory goes to God. And that is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus in the middle of the night. It's so far off the path that our traditional views have brought us where it's used as the passage that you go down the altar and you're saved forever. It, it just wasn't used that way. It was used to tell us something so fantastic, just what the new covenant would be like. It explains the whole new covenant. And it's such a beautiful thing for Jesus to be telling Nicodemus that I'm going to make a whole new way for you. And I am going to bear the burden of the Christian life. I'm going to do it all for you. 
I'm going to be born from above in you, and I will take the load. That's why Jesus said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. I will bear your burden. My burden is light. What do you think all that meant? He's going to do it through us. He made a new covenant where he does it through us. And he told Nicodemus all about it. If we can just look at the scriptures for what they are saying and not look at them through a traditional lens. So with that idea in mind, I just want to pray, Father, 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 God, break the yoke of slavery that comes with the traditional view of what John chapter 3 is about. Please break the yoke of slavery that comes through it, Father. Please break that yoke and set us free to live the Christian life where we get to be the vessels that you use to accomplish the things that your eternal plan needs to have accomplished in in those moments we get to experience you. We get to feel the God of the universe working through us. This is eternal life that they experience God. We get to experience God. We get to experience God, Father. Thank you so much. You are so good to us to make such a wonderful covenant where, where we get to feel you coursing through us. Thank you, Father. Help us realize, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can realize what your new covenant is all about. It's so cool, man. It's cooler than cool. It's double cool. Father, in your son's name, I pray and ask for these things to come through, Father, for you to grant my requests on behalf of these people that I love so much. You guys, and I do love you. I love you guys. Good night. Be blessed.